approach the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. So let's all pray together. Father, how wonderful it is to be in the house of God. It is good to gather with your people in the name of Jesus to worship and fellowship and learn more from your scripture. The nation rages against you, but we assemble this morning for one reason. We confess that Jesus Christ is king. We confess that salvation is found in you alone. We confess the Bible is perfect and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for the several women in our church who are carrying babies. Psalm 139 details how you form life in the womb, how you knit us together when we were in the wombs of our mothers. We as a church hold fast to what the Bible teaches about life. Even though the culture around us votes for and celebrates death, we remain steadfast on the word. We pray for the little babies in this room right now that are being knit together by you. Psalm 139 is in process right now as we pray. So we pray for the health, both of the baby and the mother. We pray for peace in the hearts of the expectant mothers, as this can be a time that brings on great anxiety. We pray for fathers, that you would give them courage to lead their families, that you give them a deep conviction to provide and protect. We pray for fathers that would pray over their families, who will read the Bible out loud, who will be unashamed of the gospel, and see their families as a primary ministry. We thank you for the courageous stands of our fellow Grace members, Lisa and Paul. We thank you that during this election process, they remained unashamed of the gospel. They were verbally abused, slandered, and heckled, but they remained steadfast. We thank you for the providential victory for Lisa and pray for her as she leads. Father, we understand that times seem dark right now, but we know that the darker the night gets, the brighter the light will shine. I pray that you would give us boldness to share our faith. Our faith. I pray that we will be a church of good courage. I pray that we would link arms together and stand firmly together, supporting and encouraging one another. Finally, please use our brother Glenn this morning. The message that he has is so timely. Please give him wisdom and clarity, and please, please give us soft hearts to joyfully receive your word and be changed by it. In Christ's name, amen. The sermon passage this morning is from Psalm 131. It's a short psalm, but it is loaded with tons of deep truth. Please hear the word of God. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Thank you, brother. So uh, what is it that makes you anxious? Or maybe for some of you, you would rather me ask the question or I should ask what, what does not make you anxious? So if we were to have just shout out some answers. What are some things that make you anxious? Performance review. <laughs> <laughs> Been a long time since I've had a performance review, but I do remember the deep sense of anxiety of that, that event. You know, you, you have to go in, you feel like you have to justify your whole career, uh, and certainly the last year's work. So yeah, performance review. Anything else? Is that the only thing that makes you anxious? 
What's that? Help. Help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Children. What was that? Map. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the government definitely makes a lot of us anxious right now. Um, an honest assessment of what it is that makes us anxious is important because until we do that, we cannot apply the truth to the specific issue. Our call in life, the call of a Christian, the goal of the Christian life is to, to, to grow as a disciple of Jesus. That's the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all the nations. So that's the, the, the object. If you are a follower of Christ, your goal defined by God in the most general sense is to be a disciple of Jesus, one who follows him, one whose life looks like his life looks. Well, to be a disciple of Jesus, you must know what the truth of God is, and you must be able to apply it to the present sufferings and sins in your life. So it's good to name our anxieties. That's, that's critical. Thank you for your help. And yet we don't want to stop there, do we? We don't want to stop there. And I will give you this bit of advice. If you are an anxious person, be careful of searching over a couple of weeks for illustrations for anxiety. Because once you do, your Bing feed just, or your Google feed, is just constantly, every morning you wake up and it's got another 58 anxieties for you to worry about. This week, uh, before that one, go back one, this week uh, I had this one uh, that popped up on my feed, the age of echo anxiety, climate change is keeping therapists up at night. That's a pretty clever title, right? Because anxiety keeps you up at night and climate change is the new cool anxiety and it's keeping the therapist up at night. But that, I mean, it's just every day. There are hundreds of things in my newsfeed to tell me to be anxious about. And then Thursday, the next slide, I see this listed. Has anybody heard about this, the new film? This, this is your Christmas gift, speaking of kids causing anxiety. Uh, Pixar is coming out with a new film, Inside Out 2. Here's the main character. I'll give you, well, one guess as to what the name of the lead character is in Inside Out 2. Yeah, anxiety. Anxiety. It's a whole film about how you as a teenager can feel anxious all the time because it's the latest cool emotion for you to worry about. Well, we don't want to just get our news feed full of things about which to be anxious. We want to get to some solutions. I've been meditating and thinking about Psalm 131 for well over a year, so uh, we do have a lot to cover. I'm anxious about uh, Greg finding out how long the sermon went when he gets back and getting, because he fusses at me so much when I go long. <laughs> but he's not here right now, so what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can cut that part out of the tape. <clears throat> so when I came up, I, I got up early this morning and kind of go through the sermon. And I came up about 8. Helen made us some breakfast. Rebecca said, well, are you ready? I said, yeah, I, th I think so. I'm a little anxious. You know, that's become our little code, code thing over the last couple of weeks. I'm a little anxious about the transition from the sermon to the Lord's Supper because I don't want to cry 
during that time because people don't like sniveling pastors. Um, and so Rebecca said, it'll be at the end of the sermon. You'll already have your anxiety fixed. <laughs> yeah, it's a little... <laughs> it's what happens when you raise smart aleck children. <laughs> it is hard to outwit Rebecca on clever comebacks. And I know because I try. Um, we're not going to cover everything. So the purpose of a sermon like this is to convince you to ask different questions, to point you in the right direction. I can't get you all the way from where you are to completely happy in Jesus, but I, I hope to turn you a little bit, move you in the direction, give you some ideas for your own personal prayer life, but also to encourage some of you to talk to one another, talk to me, talk to your pastors, talk to others. Um, but we do have a lot, but even so, before we begin today, I want to give you five principles that are more general, that uh, kind of serve as guidelines. First of all, we are going to talk about anxiety, but please remember, as is always the truth, always the case in a good sermon, I want you to learn the general principles that you apply to all of your life. So maybe anxiety is not the particular struggle you have right now, but learn from how we apply Psalm 131 to anxiety, the general how you apply scripture. So there's always that, that more uh, pattern learning. Second, uh, you need to know that anxiety turns out is frequently addressed uh, in the Bible. God knows that worry or fear or nervousness or anxiety, whatever word you happen to call it, is a common problem for fallen people living in a fallen world. You are going to be anxious about things. And yet what I want you to hear and remember is that God is not intimidated by your problems. And he is not afraid to address them head on. He talks a lot about anxiety. Then third, I want to remind you that the Psalms are intended to be formative. They are intended to be formative, which means that they form what you do not yet have. Psalm 131 invites us to learn composure and calm in the midst of the storms of anxiety in our lives. The Holy Spirit promises you that he will fill your heart as you recite the scriptures in the face of the problems you face. So when fear creeps into your heart, we are to say, I am to say, but Lord, I have calmed my soul like a weaned child with its mother. And then you say, but Lord, as much as that promise is for me as your child, right now I do not feel it. Right now I am anxious. Help me, Jesus. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Apply this promise to my fearful heart because it's not simply what you read when you're done. It is formative. God intends these things you to look at a psalm like this and recite it so that it creates the calm you lack in the midst of an anxious life. And then fourth, this may be the most important of the preliminary comments, it's hard. I mean, this is hard. 
Do not think this is easy. I, I had when it, my first draft of the sermon, which was three hours and 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> that's the problem of meditating on something for a year and a half is that you just got so much, but I cut it down to just a few. But let me remind you, both sin and suffering distort our view of ourselves, of others, of God, and of the world. Both sin and suffering, whether your anxiety is caused by your own sin or whether your anxiety is caused by the circumstances of your life, things beyond your control, or your children, whatever it comes from, it's called suffering if it comes from outside you, if it's called sin from your own rebellion, whether it's sin or suffering, these things distort our view of ourselves, of God, of other people, of the world in which we live, and it is not easy to find the path when it is darkened by these things. Please know that this is going to be hard. Here's the second reason it's hard. I find that we are often reluctant, even in the church, we're often reluctant to search out God's solutions and do what he says. I have become convinced over the last few years that many people, in, for many of us in church, knowing the truth has replaced applying the truth. Knowing the truth, for many Christians, knowing the truth seems sufficient. At least I know the right answer. But we're not applying it. We're not, that's part of one of those songs we sang earlier in the service. Let me not just speak theology, say the right answers. But I need this working in my life. But we're reluctant to do that because it is hard. And then here's a third thing, just to keep in mind about its heart. Some of you are more sensitive to anxiety than others of us. Some of you are more sensitive. Now, what I found from my counseling is people who are particularly sensitive, who particularly struggle with anxiety, then say the next point is, therefore, I don't have to do anything about it, right? This is, this is my natural problem, right? But that turns out that's not what God says. He says, you get to work harder on this, right? It's like me when I played football. I was not the fastest or the strongest, so I got to work harder than the guy who was somehow built like an ox already, right? And then I got smushed by him anyway, but that's what you do when you're, when you're small and you're the second-string quarterback. The first-string defensive line gets to come and beat the pulp out of you. And you get to work harder. You get to do more sprints at the end. Oh, you got tackled by the, the, uh, the, the defensive tackle? Well, yeah, run six extra sprints. It'll help you. But you get to work harder. So for those of you who struggle with anxiety, here's the great news. You get to work harder on this. I... I we're, we're taking, our, our whole family's actually taking a course in biblical counseling from Dr. Ed Welsh. And it's just a side point that he made in this, in this course, but he talks about how he has struggled with anxiety. And as I listened to his story, I thought, yeah, that's what it's really like. Here's a guy, he's been counseling, he's a leader of the Christian counseling movement. He travels across the United States and across the world lecturing. He's been counseling people for 40 years. And he says, when I first, years and years ago, 25, 30 years ago, started working on my anxiety, 
and I learned how God wants me to apply the scriptures to it, it would often take four or five days of my heart just revving up with anxiety before I remembered and, and was willing to apply the scripture. And after 10 years of working on it, I've gotten it, I've gotten it down to two or three days. And then in another 10 years, I got it down to one day. And the good news is over the last five years, it's usually only an hour or so of, of, of feeling in the grip of anxiety before I remember the promises of God and apply them and pray and seek his face and find his calm. That's what it's going to feel like for some of you who struggle with anxiety who are fearful, you're going to have that kind of long-term battle against this. But God will help. And then finally, one last principle. Um, we're going to focus today, as the Bible usually does, on the spiritual aspect. Each person is both uh, body and soul. We are two-parted creatures. We have a body that God made and a soul that God made, and but they work differently. The Bible tends to focus on our soul, what's going on in our heart. There is also general revelation. So for those of you who need help calming your heart, there are, there are all kinds of related things to do. Diet, uh, sleep, uh, uh, what you do at night before you go to bed as far as what you look at, uh, whether, what time you turn off your uh, video screens, um, some of you, you're going to need to limit your social media. I know that's, that for some of you, like, are you crazy? I can't, you know, but some of you are going to have to actually turn off Fox News because it stirs up your heart, right? Those things that are part of common grace, that are part of general revelation, are not really what this sermon's about, but they are part of the complete answer. Because there are a lot of things that your flesh will use to attack your faith. There are a lot of these extraneous things that your flesh will use to attack your faith. And you must, well, you must wean your flesh of those, to use David's analogy. Today, though, we're going to focus on soul care. But I'm not suggesting you ignore the physical aspect. So, Psalm 31. David is no longer noisy inside. David is no longer noisy inside. He, now, something's changed. He's not busy, busy, busy. He's not driven by ambition. Fear of failure does not keep him up at night. He does not, as so many of us do, replay conversations over and over in his head until our regrets of what I did not say corrode me inside. Instead, he is quiet. He is calm. His soul is still. So is that the same for you? Is that your experience? Is that true of you? I think today surely many of us can admit that it's not always true. And some of us need to admit it's rarely true. That more often than not we are not calm and quiet. We are anxious. We are busy. We are stirred inside. And when... We ask the question, why is that? When 
you ask the question, why are you anxious? Usually, and it was a little bit of a trick question to open the sermon, but to get you thinking, it's usually outside causes. Most of us, when we think, why am I anxious? It's outside causes. I noticed that none of you said, I am anxious because my heart is proud. Hmm. Hmm. Think about that. See, when you ask God, why are you anxious? And he says, let me put my finger on the cause. He has a different source. He wants to know what is the noise raging inside of you. He doesn't ask about what's going on in Washington, D.C. He asks about your heart. And so that's where we are going to focus this morning. When you are worried and irritable and hopeless and anxious, what is happening in your soul? And the answer is shocking. Brace yourself. Here it is. God begins with this. God prescribes humility as a path to quiet souls. God prescribes humility as a path to quiet souls. Oh my Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things that are too marvelous for me. See, anxiety is a common thing. It's a common thing because our hearts are idle factories, and idols demand fear and noise, and that noise is what disquiets our heart. Augustine lived uh, 1,600, 1,650 years ago, born about 350, died at 430. He wrote a lot of things that are still important for Christians today. His Probably his most famous saying is, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find our rest in you. Now, he, was, he wrote that in reference to the fact, uh, uh, to the process of conversion. When he was unconverted, he was restless. But see, it's not just those who are still seeking God who are restless. Those of us who know God often find our hearts disquieted by our desires. And here's the bottom line. There's a conflict between a restless heart and a right relationship with God. There is a conflict between a restless heart and a right relationship with God. Or as David says it, we worry about things beyond our control. Or if we want to use modern language, we might say it's this. We raise our eyes to the things above our pay grade. We fret over what might happen tomorrow. Now, to, to the world and to, to secular psychology, anxiety is a problem to be fixed. But what I want you to see this morning, what I would plead with you, to see from verse 1 is this. Anxiety is a sign of our distance from God. Anxiety is a sign of our distance from God because there is a conflict between a restless heart and a right relationship 
with God. And Psalm 131, the great psalm on anxiety, begins with self-examination and a tough self-assessment. As surprising, and for many of us, let's be honest, it's unwelcome. As unwelcome as this may be, there is no way to read Psalm 131 and not realize that God says to me, one of my biggest challenges to my soul is a proud self-will. There's no way to read this psalm and, and, and say that is not what it says. You must come to terms with that if you are going to be honest before Psalm 131. This week, we sent out an email. John sent it out for me. I appreciate it. He sent out an email to the distribution list that had David Tripp's devotional as well as a song uh, by Carrie Job version of Be Still My Soul that we're going to sing. We're actually going to listen to it as part of the, the application today, but we're also going to sing it after the service. H how many of you receive that, that email every week? Oh my. Okay, about two-thirds. Okay, so for you, do not receive it uh, on the... You can ask John for help, but uh, on the, the uh, Church Planning Center website, you can sign up for the weekly emails. Um, in that, we also included David Tripp's devotional from last week. I'd encourage you to, to look, at the, look at that and read the whole thing, but let me just pull out a little section of it, because in the middle of this devotional, he talks about the connection between self-focused life and anxiety. He writes, let go of not, let go of knowing the future. Let go of having your own way. Let go of self-sovereignty. Let go of the anxiety of not knowing. Let go of craving more power. Let go of ranting against mystery. Settle into what you have been designed to be. Celebrate being included in the gospel plot. Be thankful you're not in control. Remember God's way is better. Know that you are in good hands. Things out of your control are not out of control. I love that sentence. Things out of your control are not out of control. There is an author. He is not you. His will will be done. I find that when people ask me for help, with anxiety and I begin with humility, the response is usually, well, obviously you're not qualified to be a counselor because that is not the problem. <laughs> None of us like that. So maybe we can better see our need for this if we focus a different way on possible self-absorption. When you feel anxious, do any of these kinds of thoughts flip through your mind? I just want a little respect and appreciation. I just want the car to work. I just want a breather. I just want to be understood. I just want to succeed at something. I just want better health or a more meaningful job or recognition for how hard I try or some self-confidence. Now, for some of us, our self-focused nature does not come out in that way. It comes out in the underneath form to focus on self-belittling tendencies. Maybe when you feel anxious, there are thoughts that are more like this that come out of your mind. 
I am of no value to anyone. I will fail if I try. I cannot do anything right. No one likes me. No one wants to be around me. What Psalm 131 says is there's a conflict between a restless heart and a right relationship with God. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too wonderful for me. So what God is saying to you in Psalm 131 is that the cure for a restless heart necessarily begins with humility. It necessarily begins with humility. So how does a proud heart become a humble heart? Wait, you cannot wrestle it down by penance. You cannot destroy the tumult of self-will by sheer will. You cannot say, I will stop fretting. You cannot say, I will stop demanding that the universe conform to my will. Instead, you win with the promises of God's loving kindness. You win the battle with the promises of God's loving kindness. You need a redeemer. You need the hand of a gentle shepherd. You need help the way a drowning man needs rescue. And so, as Psalm 131 says, self-absorption, lifting my heart up too high, focused on things I should not be worried about, because that is what separates us from the calming presence of Jesus. One of the best ways to begin to draw near to him and to again experience his calming presence is through confession. It's through confession. Lord, my heart is noisy right now. Will you not fill me with your spirit of peace and calm. Lord, I am worried about money for retirement. Will you help me see that the birds of the air neither sow nor reap, and yet you always feed them, and you promise me that I am more important than they. Lord, I'm anxious about tomorrow. Will you show me again that you are the God who knows the beginning from the end and you hold the future in your loving, nail-pierced hands. Lord, my fretting has replaced faith. Lord, my fretting has replaced faith. Remind me again that you are a very present help in time of trouble. Lord, the storms my family and I have faced this past year have shaken my confidence. And I doubt your caring goodness. Please still my soul with the promise that you are on my side. Teach me to wait patiently and to trust that you are my heavenly Father and you will lead me through thorny ways to a joyful end. I plead with you. When your soul is disquieted and God feels distant, consider starting with confession. 
admit how your sins, as well as the things you suffer, have moved you further from God. Honest confession, honest and specific confession is deeply personal. And it is one of the most intimate ways to draw close to your loving Father. He promises not to turn you away. But when you come and say, Father, my heart is broken. My heart is in the grip of fear and doubt. I am anxious. He says, let me help. Let me comfort. Let me put it back together. When God is near, all is calm. And that leads us to the second point. God promises help to quiet our souls. Verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. David's soul was noisy, but now it is quiet. And here's the principle to still your quiet, to still your anxious heart, you must wean it from noise and fretfulness. I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, if you don't know, David had a lot of wives and concubines. <laughs> and they had a lot of kids. So he had a lot of nursing mothers around him. So as strange as this illustration may seem to us, it really makes a lot of sense. So David looks, and over here is wife number 13, and she has a brand new baby who is nursing. And he watches, and when she takes that baby and puts it on her lap, the, the baby be begins to get agitated, right? The baby's like, I know the last 78 times I've been here, you fed me, but this time you might forget. So, hey, hey, I'm here. Woo, woo, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. I've got to nurse now. And, and it's, it's not just I've got to nurse, but it's got to be now, there is no patience in this world. Have you lost your mind? Mother's milk is the source of life and health and happiness and joy, and I've got to have it now. I was explaining this to Rebecca the other day. It re reminded her. I guess I didn't remind her. She didn't know this, but there were times when she would get so agitated she couldn't even nurse. She just got so fretful and so worked up inside that it just was almost impossible to give her what she wanted. And so David looks over there at, I forget which wife I said it was, 13 or something, <laughs> and he sees the infant, the infant version of the things that destroyed his own heart. Anxiety, anger, depression, jealousy, discontent, confusion, fretting, demanding, impatience. It's like, huh, that's what's going on in me. And then he looks over here to wife number 14, or 17, or 68, or whatever it was. He also had concubines, so he did have a mess going on, but over here there's a woman, and the baby is now two weeks later, and that child has been weaned. And so you put the child on the mother's lap, and the child's like, I'm as happy as I can be. Right? Because they're no longer demanding that they be nursed. 
Now they have a different process for being fed. So now she's the model of trust and peace. And David says, there was my soul, but God has taught me how to calm my soul like a weaned child on its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So David says to us, envision your own soul. Where is it? Is it the fussy, demanding, fretting, impatient heart inside of you when things go wrong? When things go the way you don't want them to go, is this what's inside? Or is it confidence that your God will not fail you? One day, their boat was caught in a storm. Waves towered above their heads and then crashed down on them. The boat was filled with water and it appeared that they would die. Winds raged with an unrelenting anger. And what is Jesus doing during this? Does anybody remember? He's asleep. In the boat. I mean, if you were asleep on the shore, you might get understand it, but he's asleep on the boat. Why is he asleep on the boat? Because he brought this storm on purpose to reveal the anxiety in his disciples' hearts. And then, just like an unweaned child, this child over here on this side, obviously this is the, the left side. I'm not going to say any political comments about that, but over here, the unweaned, <laughs> the unweaned children... Do you not care if we drown? Wake up, Jesus. Do you see what's happening? Get the bucket and bail with us. Can you imagine asking God to help you bail water out of the boat? It's crazy. And so Jesus then says, peace. Be still. What I want you to do is allow Jesus' way of calming the storm to speak to you about weaning your soul from anxiety. Listen to Jesus say to your stormy heart, shh, calm down. I'm still in charge. I still calm the winds and the waves. I still have everything in my control. Isn't that what the Bible says? Cast your burdens on the Lord because he cares for you. With prayer and supplication, present your request to God. Picture your soul as weaned and calm, trusting rather than fretful. Such composure absolutely requires weaning. You must go through the path where things that once meant so much to you now come to mean nothing. It is a ripping out. It is a discipline. Once you were noisy, now you are quiet. It is a process, of course, but it's also an either-or. You're either nursing or you're weaned. It's one uh, or the other. You either know how to quiet your soul or you do not. You are either, either a nursing infant or a weaned child. And listen, dying to a restless, fretful, irritable heart that you have developed by years of hard work and bad practices into 
an anxiousness that is deeply embedded in you, dying to that is hard. It's not going to come easily. There's no one-size-fits-all answer. I can't say if you read these seven verses, if you memorize Psalm 131, it's going to go away. It is, it is not a pat answer. In fact, the word for calm there means to level a field. You cannot grow crops if your field is full of undulations and, and boulders and hills. So they would go out. That's what we did yesterday. Daniel ran the uh, rototiller for me, and I raked up leaves to put onto the ground, smooth it out so that it's ready for next year. That's what it means to calm. David didn't have any bulldozers, but if he had, that would be what he would have said here. Bulldoze your soul. Let's get it level, get it smoothed out. Say no to your unruly desires. Silence the noise. We, we weren't allowed to say shut up growing up, not for whatever reason, probably many of you are the same. A lot of mothers seem to think that's a bad word, but say to your heart, shut up. <laughs> Be quiet. Now this composure, this calm and quietness is not apathy. My friend in India has, I should have put that picture up there, I just thought of this, it's not in the notes. My friend in India has a, a, a screen, um, desktop and it's a picture of a woman and says that the uh, key to calm is the absence of desire. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says stir up your desires on the right things. <laughs> your, your, your disquiet is because your desires are things that are too high for you, that are not for you, that are not your concern. If you focus your desires on God, and on fellowship with his spirit, then it comes. It's not apathy, but it's a different kind of alertness. It's conscious work. It's not unconscious. It is self-mastery by God's grace, not a sleepy soul distracted by fleshly pleasures. I'll tell you, look, this is, this is extra too. You even have to pay for this. The biblical answer is way less good, way less fun to the flesh than, than what the world has to offer. You're anxious? Hmm, have a couple of more beers. You're anxious? Spend your afternoon watching football. You're anxious? Watch something that's, that, that uh, allows you to be distracted. Right? Instead of having the terrible feelings you have, let's distract those feelings. Let's distract your mind. And what God says is, no, let's get through that to me. It's a lot harder. It's, it's hard work. And the question for you today is, will you trust God enough to obey? I'm going to let Katarina von Schlegel give us a little counseling lesson here. She, we, we know almost nothing about this precious saint. She lived about four or 500 years ago in Germany. She wrote... This hymn, um, we're going to listen to Carrie Job's version. Then uh, I appreciate the music team willing to learn this new version, and, and we're going to sing it after uh, communion today to, to continue to fill our hearts and to let 
what, what, what Katerina von Schlegel has done is she's taken Psalm 131 and turned it into a counseling lesson for us. Be still my soul. Now, for those of you who are listening or watching on the video, uh, copyright laws prevent us from broadcasting Carrie Job's version uh, when we record this, so we have to cut this out. So if you're listening and you want to follow along, you can search for Carrie Job, Be Still My Soul. Let's play and listen to this. But Katerina von Schlegel has challenged us to hope in a hope that is more enduring than our fragile efforts at control. Be still my soul. Finally, and we're almost done, I know it's gone a little long, but God provides hope for the future to sustain quiet souls. God provides hope for the future to sustain quiet souls. Psalm 131.3, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Three quick things to notice by the conclusion. First, you are called by name. In the Old Testament, God's special name for his people was Israel. In the New Testament, there are many other names that you can put there. O oh, church, hope in the Lord. O oh, my child, hope in the Lord. It's even appropriate as you're praying this psalm to put your own name in there. O oh, Glenn, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Second, the hope is in the Lord. Root out those false gods. Root out those vain idols in which you have hoped to heal your anxiety. Place your hope in the one who alone can calm the storm and who promises you that he is on your side. And then third, notice that the promise, the hope is both now and forevermore. The beauty of God's promises grow brighter as we remember that we will spend eternity with Jesus. Peter says the same. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pray for your soul to trust these promises of God's future grace. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And there was there a woman named Martha, She had a sister, Mary. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted by much serving. And so she went to Jesus and said, Hey, Lord, do you not care that my sister left all of the work for me to do? <laughs> And the Lord answered her, Mary, uh, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, of, and that will not be taken from her. How anxious would you be today, right now? How anxious would you be if Jesus walked in the room and came and sat beside you and put his arm around you 
and said, my brother, you're anxious about many things. Look at my hands. I hold the whole world in my hands. And you look down and there are his nail-pierced hands. So for every, every anxious Martha here today, for every anxious Martha here today, I want you to hear this. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about the dinner because I've already prepared it.